Oh, do you know, I've just been laughing at a tweet. Have you seen this tweet from Anna Debenham? Um, which one was that? In the last sort of, um, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. She just tweeted here, parents, don't let your child choose a name for their first pet that's shorter than six characters. Oh, yes, because, of course, it's some kind of security question and the pet's name must be at least six characters long. It must yeah. be between six and 15 characters in length and can only contain letters and numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so the replies are hysterical. There's, there's one that, man, it just made me laugh, um, from Bruce Lawson, who was also at the Net Awards yesterday. He was. Oh, I saw. It's, you know, it's funny. I met Anna for the first time in four years yesterday. Wow. So you'd been talking to her all the time on the podcast, but not met her in person. No, and that's only the second time. Yesterday was only the second time that I've ever met her in person. Yeah, that's funny. I'd always assumed that you'd like got to know each other very well outside no. of podcasting. No, not not at all. Not at all. So it's really nice to see her. And it was nice to see Bruce as well. His reply was hysterical. He says, at Anna Debenham, my first puppy was called lowercase jg, uppercase fy75, lowercase fg, uppercase j. <laughs> <laughs> he, ran... <laughs> he ran off in the book. <laughs> He ran off in the park and we had no idea how to call him back. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty good. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, that just tickled me, that one. Oh, dear. Can we... I should laugh at you laughing now. We're gone forever. <laughs> oh, God, too many woodbines. Um, can we do a few updates before we get started? Yes. Oh, dear. I just, we need to say a quick thank you and best wishes, I think, to our friend Ashley Baxter. Yes, absolutely. Because she's not only launched a new business, which was... An insurance broker business. She launched it last week. Um, insurance by Jack, which she talked about on the show last week. Yes. Um, which she announced at that industry conference in. Yes, which, like, which I saw her announce and she'd kept it so quiet because I'd seen her. I'd had a meal with her the night before and a meal with her the week before and she hadn't said a peep. Nothing at all. She's very good at keeping things quiet. She never tells me anything. <laughs> Anyway, Insurance by Jack uh, is what she started, which is grand. And then she started a new podcast uh, this week. It's called The Working Out Podcast with Paddy Donnelly. Which I was not disappointed, well, slightly disappointed that it wasn't about going to the gym. Mm. Well, it's actually about whether it's possible to make a living from your hobby. Which I think is going to be really interesting. Depends on what your hobby is, though, doesn't it? It does, rather. Flatterly. Walking the dog. Oh, no, I guess I could make a business out of that. Actually, you could, couldn't you? Because you could walk other people's dogs. I could. I I like paying somebody else to do that for me. (laughs) Or people could pay you to walk 
your dog in fancy dress. I'd do that. I don't, it'd be quite tricky. He's he's not the kind of dog that likes having things put on him. No, I you'd be the one. You'd be the one in fancy oh, dress. I'd be in fancy dress. What, like dress as another dog. <laughs> you could just be dressed as what you like. That's what people would pay you to dress up as their thing. Do you know what? No one in Brighton would bat an eyelid. <laughs> I think like most a, people look like they're in fancy dress most of the time anyway. Just been like a normal day. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's going to be good. Um, I had a quick listen. I didn't listen to the uh, the whole thing because um, I was busy, but uh, it's it's going to be good. It's not going to be as good as ours, obviously. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but uh, you should give it a listen. Workingoutpodcast.com is where you're going to find that. So number two, which is actually really good news, Five Simple Steps has been reborn. Hurrah! Yes, huzzah! Um, and I'm, I'm really pleased about that because, you know, I was, I was grumpy about the clothes, um, and I think for good reason, and good-naturedly good reasons. And then this week it transpires that Craig Lockwood and Amy Duggan, and they run Handheld Conference, which is great, and they're running this year's The Web Is, and they do lots of other cool things. They now own Five Simple Steps. And it couldn't be better, people. No. It's fantastic. It's back, and it's really good news. And I've spoken to both of them, and I know some of the plans that they have, and I think that it's only going to get better from now on. Oh, absolutely. And they are um, they are also anyone that was going to publish a book and hadn't yet when Five Simple Steps closed, they've picked that up and carrying on. And so everyone's being sort of picked up and carried on, which is really nice. It's fabulous. And they're going to be doing other stuff which is author related but not necessarily book related which i shouldn't say anything about i haven't heard anything about that that's very intriguing nobody listens to this show (laughs) so that's really good what it means for hard-boiled um hard-boiled web design my book is that which is available now from two good booksellers you see this is the best bit uh people have got a choice between where they buy the ebook anyway you can either buy it from Smashing Magazine, which is uh, €12.90. Um, and, or you can buy it from uh, Five Simple Steps now, which is great, and that's £16. This sounds like a sponsory, but it isn't. Hey, is this my, <laughs> our bloody web... I can do this. Yeah, you're allowed. It's a very good book. I have it sitting on my bookcase behind me. You had a table that needed the, um, the legs levelling up. <laughs> but the best thing is... There's a deal on Five Simple Steps, which is great. I'm really pleased that they've done this, is that if you buy the the hardboard web design paperback from them for 20 quid, that's only four quid more than the cost of the ebook. Mm-hmm. you get the ebook for free. Bargain. Yeah, no, it really is. And, I, you know, I think if you've got your hand on the physical book, then you'll know that it's the best reading experience because it is a, it's a lovely book. It is a really lovely book, really nice cover, really thick pages. You know, the... the Nick and Mark and everybody that worked on the book from the old Five Simple Steps, they did such a brilliant job. So that's two bits of good news in one day. Yeah, you get the get the physical book for the reading and then have the e-book uh, so that you have it for searching later when you need to look up something you've read earlier. I see, I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> so that's that. Number three, speaking of friends of the show, I want to say another good luck and more good luck to Elliot Kemba. Because 
He's been a real pleasure to talk to on the show over the last few months. And he's now, he's got some news. He's, he's off to work at Dropbox. Which is great news. Very exciting. Big move to yeah, so, San Francisco. Mm, it's a really big move. And I think he's going there to work on some special secret things. Ooh. Which I, I don't know about. No idea. But I couldn't be happier for him. He's such a lovely guy and he's so talented. And I'm really going to miss talking to him on a regular basis, at least for a while. And he's going to come back on the show when he gets settled. But until then, you know, good luck to him. Really good news. And there's one more, one more. <laughs> um, I don't think you've met him, but I think I've met, mentioned him a few times in the past on the show. Um, but one of my most favourite people in the whole world, not just in the web industry, in the, in the whole world, is Doug Bowman. Oh, I haven't met him, no. Oh, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And he announced yesterday that he's left Twitter, where he's been their creative director for the last five years. And do you know what? There's only a handful of people that I would move around the world to work with, like Elliot's just done. Yeah. I'd go and work with Aaron Walter at MailChimp like a shot, because I think I'd learn so much from him. Mm. Um, and Doug, you know, he's, he's been an inspiration to me for years. I love the guy, and, um, and I can't wait to see, find out where he's going to go next. He never tells me anything. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any secrets. But um, that's going to be good because wherever Doug goes, he always does some amazing stuff. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where he goes from Twitter. No, no, a lot of people that moved to Twitter recently. So it'll be interesting to see what they do when they come out the other side. Yeah, well, he always knows when to quit. He always knows when his work is done. And when he left Google and then went to Twitter, he wrote, to really, he always writes beautiful kind of closing letters, you know, kind of thank you letters to where he's been working. Um, and, you know, he said farewell to Google and then he said hello to Twitter. So now he said goodbye to Twitter and wherever he pops up next, we ex expect a blog post at some point. Yeah, that's nice. Mm, no, lovely guy. One of the best people that you could ever meet. Right, let's do a sponsor. Speaking of good people. I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor this week, and it's Gather Content. I was expecting a whoop from you. Oh, sorry. Whoop. <laughs> Gather Content helps people who build websites to work with their clients to plan, organize, and collaborate on web content. So I bet anyone who's ever made a website for a client or for their company, they're going to know what I mean when I say that planning, gathering, organizing and collaborating on content. It's one of the trickiest parts of any project. Absolutely. So people, you know, they email you content in Word or Excel and sometimes in PowerPoint documents. You, know, you can't blame people for that because those are the applications that normal people use every day. I need to find another word for normal people. Especially <laughs> mainstream. <laughs> mainstream people, especially after spending three hours on a train from Houston. Normal people really doesn't cut it. Anyway, we digress. Then we have to trawl through what's often multiple documents, cut and paste what's useful out of them. You've got to keep track of everything. Sometimes people send you the same file twice just in case you've got it. I had that today. Oh, God. Potential clients sent me um, two sets of photos. She sent them again just to make sure that I'd got them. Each email is like 25 megabytes. She sent it mm. twice. Took me over my data limit on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. 
Anyway, we digress. Then there's a way to finding a way to collaborate over changes. You know, I often edit copy for clients because, you know, it's often terrible, but also because I'm quite picky about the content that goes into the things that I design. So then I have to tell them I've changed it and what I've changed and all of that stuff takes longer than designing the website. But that's where gather content comes in. It's a web app that helps you keep all of your content in one place. You can collaborate with clients on changes and get approval when you need it with due dates and reminders. And Gather Content breaks content down to help you guide your clients and your copyrights through what needs to be written. And then when you're done, you just export that approved content directly into a CMS using one of their plugins or the API. So they've set up a special page just for listeners of the show. It's unfinished.bz slash gather content. And even better, if you sign up through that page and you use the discount code unfinished, you get, drumroll, drumroll, 20% off your subscription to gather content forever. I'm entering the URL right now. That's a really good deal. That, that I think could do with that. That's a really good deal. And that's gather content. Right. So, Laura Kalbag. Yes. I've just realised that we're 14 minutes in and I haven't actually said who I'm talking to today. <laughs> People who regularly listen may recognise my voice. I think that everybody should recognise your voice. <laughs> I was I was told yesterday that I was one of the most English pe- English sounding people that someone had met <laughs> in the country. Where did they come from? France. Oh. So apparently, I sound very typically English. You do enunciate very well. I will say it's because I'm from Surrey. <laughs> <laughs> We were just looking at the map of Surrey, actually, because that's where Alex is going to end up doing his PhD. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 nice. It's quiet. Um, it's nice. He got his confirmation email today, so everything's all set, and he's off to study rocks <laughs> and stones. I'm not sure he'll find very many of those in Surrey. Is he going to be based in Surrey? He's going to be based at the University of London Holloway, Royal Holloway Campus, which I think is in Egham. <laughs> what a funny name. I know, never been there. <laughs> never, had no. a, never had a reason to go there. No, I don't think I've ever been to Egham either. I think, apart from the Royal Holloway, there's no other reason to go to Egham. Yeah. I can't think of one. <laughs> Anyway, so that we digress. What, 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 what? <laughs> I can't remember now. I'm just. Oh, it's been a long weekend. It's been a long week. We've been away. Yeah, you've been you've been all over the place. Lots of travelling this week. Yeah, it's been fun. We've been to uh, Ireland because it was Sue's birthday and it was our 25th wedding anniversary. Woo! Woo! Congratulations. So we, um, yeah. So we we went over and had a, a lovely stay in the west of Ireland in County Clare. And then we came back for the networks, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But before we do that, lots of people, while we were away, um, have been writing about conference speaking in this last week. Yes, a lot and a lot of people. Um, and I haven't written about it yet, but I will write about it, you know, maybe by the time that this podcast goes out, maybe, you know, Monday, Tuesday. If you give it my two penneth. <laughs> but... Mark Bolton wrote a post I saw um, on what conference speakers are worth. We'll put links to, to all these posts in the in the show notes. Yeah. 
Seb Lee. I never know how to say Seb's name. How do we properly say Seb Lee Delisle is his name. So there you go. Seb Lee Delisle. So Seb being his first name. Seb is his first name. Lee Delisle is his surname. That's a grand name, that. It is a pretty cool name. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, again, I've only met him a couple of times. Um, met him at uh, Smashing Conf with the fireworks, the yeah. digital fireworks. Yeah, that was very cool. I saw him just before. he he When he was working on that the weekend before with Val, we met them for lunch and uh, discussed some ideas for what they could make the fireworks into. Yeah, well, he seems like a grand fellow. And he wrote a really, really, really excellent post on how to ask for a speaking fee. Yeah, it's a must-read, definitely. It's called How to Ask to Get Paid to Speak, which I think we'll put links in the show notes. Um, and there's a few more. A few, uh, can you remember any more? I can't remember. There was a few that I saw. Yeah, I can't off the top of my head. Seb's one was the main one. I read Seb's one. It had a really great template in it for um, how to actually ask in an email when you've been sent an email asking, will you speak? How to instantly send an email back saying, these are my terms. And yeah, I actually went and straight away saved that as a little template, tweaked it a little bit so it sounded more like me. And within about an hour, I actually had someone email me asking about speaking, so I had something to fire off. It was brilliant. And what happened? I hope they haven't heard back from them yet. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe that's a sign that they were looking for someone that wasn't going to ask for any money in return, but. We shall see. I've just pulled up Seb's post and he's, I'll just read out what he puts in this reply. Because first of all, here's how I would reply to someone inviting me to speak at a conference. Hi, whoever. Thanks so much for inviting me to speak at your conference. It looks like a great event and I'd love to be part of it. Yeah, enthusiasm goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. My fee for 2014 is, and then a space. So that's where you would put in, you know, whatever your rate is. And you know, it's up to you to decide on what your rate is. It's no, for nobody else to kind of tell you what it is. No, I think there's a lot of factors that could make that up as well. And then he says, um, plus travel and accommodation with payment in full 14 days before the event. I love that bit. I really mm. think that's important to stress. And then I love the way that he finishes this off because it's like confidence without being kind of self-important. And he says, if that works for you, then let me know and I'll book it in. I love yeah. that. It's just like, it's, it's, it's kind of uncompromising without seeming kind of arrogant. Yeah. Love it. Um, and then he says, sometimes I'll come back saying they don't have a budget or they make you an offer. And it's at that point that I ask very directly, usually in one sentence, what is the capacity and the ticket price of the event? Because, you know, if they're making money. Yeah, that's where... You can see how much um, they respect people as well, because sometimes there will be conferences that won't even pay their speakers as much as they charge for a ticket, because there are events out there that charge sort of £1,000 for a ticket, and they're not, they, they're not even willing to pay their speakers the cost of one ticket, then that's kind of a worrying situation. I mean, there are profit-making businesses that run conferences, because there are lots that don't run them for profit. Um, and the profit-making businesses especially need to understand that without the speakers, they wouldn't actually have any content. Um, they wouldn't have a conference. And so it is right that they respect speakers and pay them for their time. 
Well, there's just a section in here, which I, we won't read it all out, but it's, you know, how much to ask for. Um, any decent conference should offer all, and I mean all, and I, that is what another thing that I'm, I'm very, very uh, keen on is that everybody that stands up and does a presentation, main stage, junior stage, whatever, gets paid. Um, around, he says here, 500 to 1,000 pounds. Higher profile speakers can get 2,000 to 5,000. I'm somewhere in this range, yeah, and I'm the same. You know, I'm, I'll be up front for it. I'm, I'm in that range. Um, web celebrities could get more than this, perhaps up to 10,000. Well, I, you know, I ain't a web celebrity then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes, I do know of people that, um, charge around that amount. Yeah, I do um, too. I think, um, yeah, I would definitely be in the low, the lower bracket because I am not so experienced yet. Um, but I would definitely charge something. Well, I say that I, I should be <laughs> definitely charging something. Well, let's find out how you get on with this reply now. Yeah, indeed. Well, this reply, this was for a panel as well. So I was being cautious because um, a panel, obviously, you don't have to do as much preparation as you would do for a talk. And so I think I was, I think I just asked for enough to cover um, what well, a day's work and travel and accommodation. And so that's not very much. And looking at the ticket price, uh, it was actually less than ticket price as well. So we shall see. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's lots and lots of good stuff. Seb's covered a lot of stuff in this blog post, but you should just go off and, and read it. There's a, there's a bit about here about nonprofits, about community events, you know, when people, when they don't have a budget or, you know, they're not expecting to pay people because, you know, there are some things that we all do because it's a, a good thing to do. Yeah, this week I spoke at um, the Talk Web Design Day, which is was at Greenwich University, and I did that for free because I want to share some some things with the students, and that's absolutely the kind of event where they're not making any money. They provided free tickets for students, um, and they gave us lunch and everything, um, and they gave all all the students lunch too, and in a in a lovely little venue. Like, that's well worth doing for free for me. Definitely. So have a have a read of Seb's post. The other one which um, springs to mind was uh, Rachel Shilcock, the lovely Rachel. Yeah. She, who was also at the Net Awards. God, everybody that was, well, not everybody that was everybody. <laughs> Lots of people that are somebody were there. Um, she wrote here, on speaking, my personal experiences and advice for getting started. So that's a lovely little post. Well, again, we'll put links in the show notes. So that was that. But yeah, people were, people were writing about stuff. And I think that many of these posts were sparked, I think, by what I took to be a giant, pun intended, giant <laughs> misunderstanding about who was and who wasn't being paid to speak at a conference in America called Giant Conference. Yes. Do you want to summarize what happened there? So there were, there's a lot of speakers because it's a, a big multi-track event. Um, and there are keynote speakers. I think there's five or six and they're all very well known, very well established speakers. And they were all getting, um, paid for their time. And there were other speakers, um, who weren't the keynote speakers. They were just speaking on the tracks. And I'm not sure whether they were or were not being paid for their time. I don't think there was a, Set, no, they weren't being paid or there wasn't a set rule going on. 
I think what happened with the, the, the keynote speakers were being paid whatever their, their rate was, you know, whatever they asked for, negotiated agreed rate. Um, the rest of the speakers, and there were quite a lot of them, um, and who formed the majority of the lineup, they, as far as I understand it, were receiving a flat fee that included travel expenses or had oh, to yes. include travel expenses. But if that flat fee didn't cover you, for example, if you were flying in from further away or perhaps from abroad, you could go back to them to have that flat fee extended to cover the cost of your travel. But apart from that, nobody else was actually getting, you know, a £5,000 speaker fee, for example. Yeah. And then there was a misunderstanding that because the majority of the keynote speakers were men, that it was only men that were getting paid to speak, which didn't happen to be the case because there was a, a lady on the keynote speaking lineup, but it was a, a big under, misunderstanding. But consequently, people pulled out of speaking for that reason. That's a fair summary. I don't think you, know, you can read. Um, again, we'll put some links in the show notes because the conference itself, the giant conference organisers, who I think actually handled things very well, it was. It's, they're actually it's their first time conference, uh, first time organising a large event. So yeah, they that's, did very that's well. quite hard. That's I, I think that's a scary thing, and, and you will. I think people will inevitably make mistakes when they're doing their first conference, particularly something that's such a huge event. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's important to make sure that people were stating the facts about what, what was and wasn't happening rather than jumping to conclusions. I think that's incredibly fair. And I think that they had the best intentions and I think that they'd done other things around the conference which I don't think that they need to do necessarily. You know, they'd, in, they'd implemented a code of conduct, for example, which I know a lot of people are, you know, very keen on. And they were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to be seen to do the right thing. They were trying to do the right thing. And I think that this was a massive distraction for them. Um, yeah, and, and it could potentially hurt uh, their ticket sales and people's opinion of the conference, particularly if they only hear the misconstrued things around it. Yep. rather than the actual facts as well. And this is what got me fired up when I should have been drinking Guinness on a veranda in Western Ireland, <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine. And I did drink some Guinness, to be honest. Just a little bit. <laughs> and then a little bit more. Now, it made me think that conference organisers obviously have a responsibility to speakers as well as to their audiences. I think that goes without saying. Yes. But in return, speakers have got responsibilities too. And yeah. they've got responsibilities to themselves. They've got responsibilities to the audience. And they've got responsibilities to those same organisers. And I think sometimes speakers forget that. And I want to talk about what those responsibilities are today. Can we do that? Yeah, I think that sounds like a good topic. So we'll start off. About and it's a short one, really. I just think it's about responsibility to yourself as a speaker, because you know, as well as other people having responsibility for you, you have to take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. And as well as, for example, expecting people to take care of you, and this 
This is particularly important for people who travel and maybe travel to foreign places and, you know, maybe need picking up at the airport and being driven to places and made sure that their safety is paramount. Yeah. And not only safety, because, you know, bad things don't always happen. Just making sure people are comfortable, you know, yeah. and happy. I had a situation where... um I wasn't feeling very well. You know, I, I was feeling ill and I was feeling tired and I was in one of those kind of grumpy black moods and I had to fly to Germany to, to an event. And anyway, as it transpired, there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't anybody going to be picking me up at the airport and taking me to the venue, which is quite a long way away. It's like a 40 minute drive away. Mm. So, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I've, I've got to get there. And I was getting worried and I was getting stressed. I've never been there before. And, you know, a quick phone call to the organizers and they said, listen, you know, we didn't realize that you were stressed out. We'll come and pick you up. It's not a problem. Oh, that's lovely. You know, really nice. And here's me, you know, five foot 11, 49 year old geezer, right? <laughs> feeling a bit, feeling a bit mardy about, about finding my own way from an airport. You know, so it's not just about, you know, women or young women or young men or whatever, you know, it's old farts like me. Yeah, the, the, it's it's difficult, particularly in a country where you don't speak the language as well and you need to find your way somewhere. Yeah, so it's it's important that you respect yourself by ensuring, I think, that you get treated well. And that means you're being looked after, you know. Um, it means being paid often, as we, you know, we talked about a minute ago. Yeah. But I think more widely, it means getting something in fair exchange for what you're giving. So being looked after, for example, and a lot of conferences do that really well. Yeah. Or getting a nice trip to a nice place. That could be something that you're after. It doesn't have to be about money. No, no. Often it's about just using it as a, a bit of an excuse to travel. Mm. And using it as a springboard to going off and doing, you know, some traveling or some photography or something. I've done that. I've done that in Australia. It's been brilliant. Um, or maybe as Mark Bolton was talking about, and I've never experienced this directly anyway, but you know, maybe it's about getting work through exposure of speaking at a gig. You know, maybe if that's what's important to you, then, then you, you just got to get out of it. What you want to put in or what you, yeah. what you, what you want to get out because of what you put in. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I, I think I was talking to Ashley about this the other day when I saw her and we were saying about how it is. It can be good exposure and that makes it worthwhile when you may not be being paid a huge amount or something like that. You need to balance what makes it worthwhile for you to make sure it's worth your time and then you'll do a good job because your your heart will be in it. So that that's the easy bit. Okay. Just making sure that you have a responsibility for your own well-being. And you know, if you, if you're being looked after and you're getting what you want out of something and you don't begrudge it because you don't feel like you're getting a good deal or whatever, then yeah. you're going to do the best job. The audience is going to like what you do. The organizers are going to be happy and you're going to feel happier as a result. And that's really important because yeah. you know, it's stressful enough. Jesus, it's stressful. You know, standing up on stage and doing a, a talk of any size is, is hard enough. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you need to make sure that you feel good about it. Right. Here, here's, let's get into some contentious ones. Um, 
let's talk about responsibility to an audience. Because right. I think as a speaker, you have an incredible responsibility to people that have come to listen to you. Absolutely. And, and paid money to come to listen to you. Well, even if they haven't paid money, even if it's an, a local event or a grassroots event, if they've traveled any distance to see you. Yeah. Or they've given up some of their time. So I think that it's incredibly important to remember um, that people in the audience might include your peers. But if you're a speaker, you ain't one of them. Mm. Not for that time. Not for that time when you're standing in front of them. You know, in front of an audience, you're, you know, literally elevated sometimes. Um, and when you stand on that stage, when you're the one that people are listening to, you become something else. You're not their mate anymore. You know, you're not the bloke that they work with. You're not the bloke that teaches them on a day-to-day -day basis. You are, you know, a storyteller or, you know, a teacher or you're their inspiration or something. And that should change the way that you behave. It should definitely change the way that you behave. And I don't think people often get, well, I don't think some people get this. I've seen people recently that really don't get this. For example, right, you might tell jokes, mm. but being up on stage isn't a joke. It's, it's not, it's, it shouldn't ever be a joke. And it doesn't matter how many people I think that you know in the audience or how grassroots or maybe informal an event might be, a conference presentation of any size it's not a lecture to students at a university. It's not a talk to a team at your company. It's something completely different. So I think it, behaving well um, is really important. Yes, I would agree with that. Definitely. And please, please, please don't swear. I went to a talk. I heard a talk at one event recently where... The speaker swore so much that even I got offended. Yeah, I'm not easily offended. Yeah. Oh, this is a tricky one for me because me, myself, I wouldn't um, swear because I'm, I can't, I have a rule with the same as Twitter. I swear quite a lot in person, in conversationally when I'm talking to me my too. friends. Me I'd too. I'd say I was a sweary person. Me too. But on Twitter, I try to tweet um, nothing that I wouldn't be ashamed to say in front of my grandmother. That's my rule. And I think the same rule for me goes for conferences. And that's kind of, that's about professionalism. And it's just about not being unnecessary, about being polite, because the people you're conversing with um, or broadcasting to aren't, they aren't the people that, you're hanging out with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't know you yet. And so you don't necessarily, you don't need to speak like that. No. However, I, I have seen some talks, I don't mean swearing all the time, where a choice swear word every now and again does show passion. And I'm not saying that there isn't another way of doing that or another word to say it, but sometimes it's, a, it's, it's used uh, for dramatic effect, yeah. I would say. I've, and it I've can done be that. used well. Yeah. I've done that. And actually, in hindsight, I do regret it. I think I regret it, you know, 
two seconds after saying it. Mm. Um, sometimes, sometimes things do slip out as well. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're particularly in flow. But I think that you know, slightly more than that. I think that we have to remember that swearing might be appropriate when we're talking to uh, people at work, right? Yeah. Because you know what you do in your private life is is up to you. You know, you can swear the house down at home if you want. Yeah. Um, you know, and it might be acceptable where you work as well, but it might even be acceptable culturally in the part of world in the part of the world where you live. Because you mm. know, you go to some places and it's you know f this and f that. Yeah. Um, but it's not appropriate for a conference talk because you don't know who's going to be in the audience. You don't know who who's going to be there to hear you. And you don't know if they might be offended by what you say. Because, you know, we have people travelling in from all over now. You know, it's, yeah. not like, it's not like you have an event in London and, you know, only, only, only Londoners come. You know, people come in from all over the place and they have, you know, they come in from all kinds of cultural backgrounds too. And what people find acceptable to hear in Belfast might not be the same as what's acceptable for people in Boston. Yeah. Or somewhere I, I, else beginning with B. I'm not sure offending someone would be my biggest problem because I think it's um it's it's inappropriate, but I think it's about making people feel uncomfortable. Mm, okay, uncomfortable then. And um, you know, you wouldn't why would you want to make an audience member feel uncomfortable? Exactly. That's what I think. So I just think it's best to play it safe and curb the cussing and you know, if there is another way that you can add emphasis to a point, then, you know, try and find another way. Yeah. I think often I've seen speakers that I swore a lot and I think it was actually nervousness was making them trying to be a bit cool. You know how like kids do at school Mm. when they, when they say sort of unnecessary things just to try to impress their friends. And that's how it comes across to me. It's, It's possible. And I know that some people who are, um, yeah, some some of the people that that I've seen would 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 fall into that category. Some of the people that I've seen really, you know, I think are much more mature than that and much more experienced than that. And maybe it's uh, you know it's culturally acceptable where they are, but it it it, it made me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and on along the same lines, really, um, talk about humour for a second. Just stay clear of political jokes. This is this is from personal experience, right? Right. Because I used to regularly tell a joke about George W. Bush. Right. At conferences in the US. This went hard-boiled. In fact, it's actually written into hard-boiled, this gag, right? <laughs> <laughs> about George Bush and mission accomplished in Iraq and all this kind of stuff, right? Anyway, it always got a laugh. Always, always, always got a laugh. Sometimes a bit of a nervous laugh, but, you know, it got a laugh. And mm. then I told the same gag in Washington, D.C. Okay, slightly more political setting. Mm. And I literally felt the air being extracted for the, from the room mm-hmm. because hundreds of people just literally sucked the air in through their teeth. It was like... <laughs> right? And I realised at that point, and this is actually something that Eric Meyer, bless him, talked to me about afterwards... Because I think he'd be nervous about me telling this gag all the way through the year. <laughs> um, and I think it was only because Jared Spool had also done a waterboarding joke that oh, it yeah. <laughs> might have thought, well, oh God, after that, Andy can say anything. Was that I don't think that 
the laugh. You know, you, you, you tell jokes, you try to use humor because you want to kind of ease people into a, into a talk. You know, it makes you feel better when you hear them laugh and, you know, mm. they feel a little bit more kind of in tune with you if you, if they can laugh with you. Yeah. But it's never ever worth causing offense to anyone in the audience. That laugh. No. Um, and I, and I learned that and I wish that I hadn't done it now. Yeah, you can isolate people as much as you bring some people on side. It's not worth it for the sake of if you isolate other people. And you know what it's like, particularly when you get feedback. And, you know, sometimes we get feedback when we don't ask for it. You know, an event apart, Mm. do structured feedback and it's brilliant. And most of the time we just get feedback on Twitter. And if, you know, 20 people say, I thought that was a really good talk. And one person said, God, what an asshole. Yeah. Because they were offended by your George Bush joke in Texas, then, you know, you didn't do yourself any favours. And you're going to look back on that and think, oh, I wish I hadn't done it. Yeah. So that's that one. Hmm. Next thing, preparation. Oh, this is, yeah. Right. Now, this should go without saying, but... No, it doesn't. (laughs) Always prepare. Always. I mean, you know... Aral will probably back us up on this, right? But I oh, think absolutely, yeah. over-preparation is probably even better. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know whether there's such a thing as over-preparation. There may, if you're over-scripted, maybe, if you, your delivery suffers because of it. But no, I, I think it doesn't help anyone. And it's very disrespectful to your audience if you don't prepare. No, well, I think that, yeah, I've seen speakers, particularly American speakers, I have to say, you know, they're guilty of it more than I think Europeans are, where they've literally learned the thing word for word. And, you know, it's like listening to some, it's, it's awkward. It feels awkward to a European ear. It feels wrong to yeah. hear somebody, um, you know, mentally reading. Yeah, I did see a talk like that recently, and um, it wasn't American. But, uh, I don't know whether that's that's just coincidence, but it it was hard to focus because it's not natural speech. No, didn't feel right. Anyway, I think that we've got a, a responsibility to an audience, not just to know what we're talking about, but to deliver a message really well. I mean, really well. Yeah, I think it was, I don't know, maybe... Someone that I'd had, um, they said for every, I think we might have said this before, but for every minute you're speaking, you should prepare for an hour. And I I think that even if it's just thinking it through and mulling over your ideas, I think that's about right. That's what I try try to go for. Yeah, I didn't, I don't do that much. I mean, I, I I do a different regime now as I've written about, which is that I will write myself a script and I will see that script while I'm speaking. I don't read mm-hmm. from it, but I refer to it. And I practice the delivery of that for as many times as I can. If it's an hour's talk, I will probably go through it between five and ten times as wow. a full run through. Um, because, you know, stumbling over sentences can happen and, you know, you need to practice saying some things, you know? Yeah. That's, I, I don't do so many run throughs. I maybe only do a couple of run throughs or depending on. Uh, how time is sitting and how easy it's flowing um but i do a, a huge amount of pre-preparation a lot of it's familiarizing myself with the ideas so i can talk naturally about it and it not be scripted i'm terrible with scripts and i just make myself nervous that i'll forget things uh, but i have points and i'll have points in my notes that i have to hit 
and I will be able to, I always am able to see those so that I can refer to them if I need to when I'm speaking. And that works very well. And I've got into the right flow of I can, I can see those points and make sure I hit them without appearing distracted. Well, doing the sponsor reads for the show has actually helped me. Because, yeah, you know, I, sense, I read yeah. the same thing out every every time or, you know, more or less, bit, a few changes here and there. Um, and people do say that it sounds, you know, obviously they're not reading out, but it doesn't sound too different, I hope, from our regular conversation. No, you can, f- I think the way to tell is, can you focus on what you're saying? Um, and if you can, then it must be natural. Because I think that when things are very scripted, it's jarring, so we can't concentrate. Another thing. And I've seen this a couple of times um, over the last year because I've been doing more conf- going to more conferences uh, just as an attendee. So you know, I like to go see people and you know learn things as much as anybody else. And I've seen some people do this. Please don't do it. Never ever admit when you haven't had time to include something. Yeah. I mean, I heard a speaker once not that long ago, and an experienced speaker too say, "I was going to include a section about." something I've forgotten, right? But I ran out of time. Yeah, it just... Not only is it disrespectful to not have prepared well enough, but to also then tell everyone that you are disrespecting them in that way is... Yeah, that's not cool. Well, it's like saying, yeah, your time coming to listen to me isn't as valuable as my time when I was making the the slides or something. I mean, it's just bad. Just don't do it. I once saw a speaker admit that the morning that he was giving his talk was the first time that he'd seen the slide deck because the few slides that he had anyway, they'd been made by somebody else at his company. Mm. And then the cheek of it, he then went on to explain that his style was to speak off the cuff. So he hadn't brought any notes and he was just going to make it up as he went along. Yeah. I, do you know what? I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I've frankly never, ever seen a speaker disrespect an audience so much. I mean, improvisation, we all do it a little bit. You know, we, we, yeah. we have a slide deck where we know the talking points and we riff around it. Yeah. That's one thing. But frankly, improvisation belongs in a comedy club, mm. you know, or maybe on a panel. You know, not in an industry professional talk setting. I mean, oh, God, I was outraged. Yeah, that's that's not cool. And I I bet it wasn't a very good talk either. You know, it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've seen some duffers, and this took the biscuit. You know, you owe it to people, um, whether they've paid or they've travelled, to live up to whatever their expectations of you were, you know, as best you can. You know, yeah, we, all, we all screw pe- up. People are very forgiving, particularly when you are new and starting out and it's one of your first few talks um, or you're particularly nervous. People will forgive that completely because that's understandable. It's human. If you've prepared, you will give an, an interesting talk because you wouldn't have been asked to do it otherwise. Mm-hmm. You, you, your proposal wouldn't have been accepted otherwise. Um, so I think that... Yeah, as long as you do prepare, you put yourself in good stead. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, ladies, people are really forgiving. You know, if you make mistakes, that's fine. You know, everybody screws up. And, you know, if there's if there's 100 people in the room and you, 
I bet those hundred people wouldn't want to exchange places with you at any point. No, I think it's like any situation. If you work hard and you really try, you can't go too far wrong because people will always appreciate the effort that you put in at the very least. Definitely. Right. Third point, third and final bit, which is because we talked about responsibility to ourselves as speakers and responsibility to an audience. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk about responsibility to an event and to the people that organized it. Yeah. Because I think that once you accept an invitation, you have a very, very serious responsibility to the event as a whole. And we'll talk about what I mean by that. I think part of last week's discussion about conferences, you know, it came from that misunderstanding yeah. And it came from a misunderstanding about business deals between a conference and speakers. And I think that negotiations and agreements, you know, whether it's about being paid or transportation or expenses or how many hotel nights they're being paid for or whatever, those negotiations, those agreements, they are no different than any dealings between a supplier and a client. Yeah. No different at all. No. Which means that they should be private and they should stay confidential unless everybody agrees otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. And if you make those dealings public, at best, I think you look unprofessional. And at the very worst it will probably make other organisers think twice about hiring you to speak. Yes, I I would agree with that. And I think that's part of what possibly happened this week. You know, it's. I think that you should, as a speaker, you know, we're all on. We're we're all in this game for a limited time, <laughs> at least. <laughs> you know, you you take your opportunities where you find them, and you you know you should try and make the most out of everything. You know, you, you owe it to yourself and your business and your family and everybody else, right? You know, you, you, you're not giving your time away for free unless you choose to give your time away for free. Yeah. Right? So you should negotiate as hard as you can, as hard as you like, to get a fair deal. I think, you know, that's only fair. But once you've shaken hands or you've exchanged, you know, an acceptance email, that's the deal done, mate. You know, that's it. That's deal done. Spit in the hand. <coughs> shake hands. And you should never go back on that. No, never go back on that. Because you have accepted it. I think, yeah, if you then happen to speak to someone um, personally that you know that may also be doing that event and you find that you've or, like organised a separate deal, I think that's just tough. Um, you've already um, negotiated your what you thought it was worth and they've negotiated what they thought it was worth. And if you have a problem with it, then next time you do it differently. I I was going to say the same thing, but you just said it way better. (laughs) You know, to think the other thing, you know, if you've negotiated that deal, if you've, you know, if you actually did spit in my hand, that was horrible. (laughs) Why do people do that? They do that in films. Have you ever known anybody in real life do that? Except me, I'm an idiot. (laughs) You weren't even going to shake hands with anyone. Either. No, I know. I was doing it myself. There's nobody else here except me. <laughs> you know, unless, unless the, you, well, anyway, you shouldn't pull out. 
This is the main thing. You should not pull out for anything other than the most important reasons. And especially, this is, this is what I think is especially important, especially after tickets have gone on sale. Yeah. Because you've got an, a responsibility as a speaker to repay that organizer's faith in you to put on a good performance. You know, they want you to be part of their narrative mm-hmm. and people are going to come and pay or travel and give up their time to come and witness that show. Yeah. And you are part of that narrative before and during and after the event. And that means that you are, you know, it's not just, you know, oh, I'm going and working for them and it's just a job. Mm. Sometimes you do business conferences. Um, sometimes you do passion conferences. But either way, whichever way you're doing, you are part of that entire experience for the, for the conference. Yeah. Um, and that means that you, you know, you help them spread the word, you know, you spread good words about the event. Um, but especially it means that you don't say anything publicly that might affect the public image. You know, it, yeah. it might have, affect the success of the, of the event. I've had, this is, this has been a quandary of mine in the past. Um, I've been part of an event where I was hoping I was an early announced speaker and I was hoping that they would actually have a more diverse lineup. Obviously, as a woman, I was a woman on the lineup, but I was the only one, um, in a, uh, not the most ethnically diverse um, as it could be. And so I didn't want to... I, that wasn't something I was going to talk about publicly. It's something that matters a huge amount to me. And so I went to the organisers and I pressed them on it and I spoke to them about it and I tried to do my best to do it from the inside because I didn't want to affect anyone else's opinion and this was my personal opinion about the event and that it needed more diversity and yeah I could have made a big hoo-ha about it on Twitter and but that kind of thing is incredibly damaging to a conference and particularly when people aren't necessarily doing things wrong on purpose it they're not necessarily doing things out of malicious intent and and so sometimes just giving someone a nudge and making your opinion known um and then allowing them to come to a conclusion is the fairest thing to do. I think, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, often, you know, what we do comes down to a personal choice, you know, Yeah. sometimes. But having these discussions privately with people, um, I think is always, always the best way of doing it. Years and years and years ago, I, um, I stopped speaking for uh, a particular conference event because I didn't like the way in which um, speakers weren't being paid evenly. Yeah. And I didn't like the way that um, some uh, younger speakers, more less experienced speakers, weren't being paid at all. Mm-hmm. And I think I've spoken about this on the, on the show before. Um, but, I, you know, you didn't see me write a blog post about it. You know, I spoke to the organizer in person. I explained why I thought that that approach um, wasn't right. And that I actually felt really guilty that I was taking home a wage and, and somebody else wasn't just for, yeah. just for the basis, you know, just, just for asking. But, you know, this was in the negotiation phase. This wasn't, you know, after tickets had been announced. No. And there was another event in uh, another country where 
we didn't reach an agreement. I didn't reach an agreement with the organizer because I, I found out that one, once again, people weren't being paid on a kind of an equi- equivalent basis. Mm. Didn't write a blog post about it. You didn't see me tw- tweeting about the guy. Well, I think it also, this is similar to the having respect for yourself. You, you actually need to establish all of these things, all the things that are important to you before you shake hands and do the deal, because then it's far less likely for there to be a problem further down the line. So it is your responsibility to actually check up on all of these things beforehand, rather than not, not checking up as much as you should have done and then kicking off a fuss later on. Ah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Let's, let's leave this one behind. Yeah. Because um, I've said all I want to say, and I'll probably kind of uh, temper those thoughts with a bit of tea. <laughs> um, when I, when I, when I write a blog post about it, but I do feel that, you know, I do feel that as a speaker, you know, you do pay a very important role and you're part of something bigger. You're part of something which is more important than you are. Yeah. And that is the audience's experience of an event. And it doesn't matter how big, how small, how local, how national, how well, um, publicized, um, or how important you think you are. It's the audience that matters, just like a footballer or, you know, just like an actor or a musician or somebody like that. You know, it's always the, the uh, it's always the audience that matters most. And they shouldn't need to see what goes on behind the scenes. No. You know, they, they shouldn't see what's going on in the locker room or in the dressing room behind, you know, behind the stage. No, you don't want to spoil the illusion. Exactly. So let's leave it there. Well, we're going to do a long show today, I think. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, Eurovision won't get warmed up for a while yet, so... <laughs> oh, don't talk about that. Let's do another sponsor. Let's do a sp- right. another sponsor, a quick sponsor. It's Hammer for Mac. So we've talked about Hammer for Mac on this... Well, we talk about a lot on the podcast, haven't we? But I love it. I really do love it. And it, Hammer for Mac is for people who write HTML. So what does it do? Well, it speeds up your workflow. And it speeds up mine. And this is how it does it. What Hammer does is it compiles SAS and CoffeeScript. And I know that there's lots of plenty of ways to do that. And there's other tools that can do that. But Hammer's just getting started. Because the way that it works is that Hammer takes your production files and then it compiles them into a build folder that goes inside your project. And that means you can keep your development... Rubbish at podcasting, aren't I? So what was I talking about? Sponsor reads. I'm rubbish at this. <laughs> You can keep your development files clean by. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just insert some insert a piece of music here while I collect myself. You can keep your development files clean by using HTML includes, which are like PHP includes, but they're HTML. And then Hammer's got clever paths built in, so you don't have to write the full path to an image or a script or a style sheet, just write the file name. And then Hammer goes and finds those files automatically when it compiles, and then it writes the full path into HTML pages. It's, it's great. It's amazing. I've been using Hammer every single time that I write HTML and CSS since it came out in beta, and I really love it. And I think you'll love it too. There's a free trial available, but seriously, if you write HTML, just do yourself a favor. Go buy yourself a copy. 
It's only £16.99 or $23.99 in the Mac App Store. And you can find out more at unfinished.bz slash hammer. Right. Right. Phew. <laughs> anyway, net awards. Yeah. No dot. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. We didn't win. Neither did we. Shop Talk, I thought, was a worthy winner. Podcast Absolutely. of the year. They are very lovely guys and they do a good job. Ah, uh, no. Perfect. I thought I thought that was the best result. I mean, I was... I don't know if people always say this because they didn't win, right? It's not the winning, it's the taking part. Mm. But actually, no, I was genuinely surprised that we got to the final five. I really, really was. Yeah. Well, as I, as I was saying to people yesterday a lot of the time i think that the nominations are the thing that meant mean the most when i was nominated i mean i did win one last year but it was actually the nomination that was most special to me because it meant that when someone said uh, i think it was newcomer of the year numerous people had thought of me blind no one suggested it but blindly they said they thought of me and that meant the most to me the nominations and the shortlisting as well because that's a public vote and so that's really nice that people actually thought that you were worthwhile i had no idea who you were (laughs) (laughs) no just joking no i mean seriously we you know we haven't been doing unfinished business for that long and we've changed it a couple of times haven't we you know we had the first 35 with anna and you know a few kind of in that where other people you appeared <laughs> um, and then we changed it. So, you know, it's there. We haven't been going that long and, you know, Boag world and shop talk, they've been going a lot longer and they're a lot more polished and a lot more experienced and they're a lot more deserving. I thought, and there are newer, sometimes better shows. I think too. I really, really like what Sean and Liz have been doing with the freelance web recently. Yeah. It's yeah. a really great show. So, you know, we're still, so we're still finding our feet and, I hope that, you know, we get better. You know, I hope that we'll be good enough next year for people to maybe vote for us again. That would be nice. Yeah, that, that's a, a nice thing to aim for as well. But, you know, thank you to everybody in the public that, that got us as far as the final five, because it did mean a lot. I did. We really do appreciate it, I think, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we appreciate that people listen and we appreciate that people took the time to vote and... You know, that, that means a lot. And it means a lot that listeners and sponsors, they like what we do. And it means a lot to me, actually, personally, Clarky. It means a lot that, you know, you, Laura, want to come and spend a Saturday evening with me talking about stuff. Yeah, it's great fun. Nobody does these kinds of things for awards. And I wasn't expecting stuff to win Agency of the Year either. Um, although I secretly think that we deserved it <laughs> yeah because we've done a lot over 10 years i mean it's not i didn't think it was about the work i tried to make it not about what we've done this last year although i think we've done some nice things um i thought as it was the first time that we'd ever been nominated that um it should really be about everything that we've done community wise etc for the last 10 years or so because this week this week that in fact tuesday i think it is is it tuesday the 13th that's this week is the 10th anniversary of my blog of Stuff and Nonsense. 
Oh, that, that's a really, they should do, celebrate that. Well, I, I'm going to figure out some way of doing it. Yeah, but if I'd have thought about it months ago, I'd have had Josh do a new illustration, but I'm an idiot, aren't I? I forgot all about it. <laughs> Um, but you know, the company's obviously been going for longer than that, but in terms of my participation, if you like, um, particularly kind of more widely known participation in web design, yeah. um, it's been 10 years. Oh, wow. You're, well, I guess that makes sense because I think I was reading your books when I started out. I thought you were um, going to say when you started school. <laughs> no. I'm not not quite that young, but I think I think I started out about looking into design and development maybe about seven years ago right. or so, seven or eight years ago. Yeah, well, and you were one of the people. I think yours was one of the first. But I got transcending CSS. That was 2006. That came out. I'm bad at maths, but yeah, about that yeah. time. Yeah, but t- ten years since since I started blogging, and obviously that was before Twitter. So you know, but, but anyway, even though even though I thought that, I do know that you know the truth is is that there are plenty more agencies around the world, not not in the final five, but you know, way more, way more than that 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 deserve to be there. You know, as much or more than we did. So you know. Anna, who I think the winners were they the ones they were the social change um, agency. No, that was, that was that was that was that was the uh, new oh, that was agency. The other one. New that, agency. Yeah. Oh, that's different. Yeah, yeah. T. and Lax, I think, were the people that won agency okay. of the year. And yeah, they've done great stuff. They work for Google. They design Medium. And you know, how does a little company, three people in North Wales, compete with that? Well, you know, you don't. Um, they've done some great stuff. Hmm. But, you yeah. know, the, like you said before, the most important thing to me anyway was that I know that it was sort of more of a public vote. And I know that it was a lot of our clients and other people that we know that got us to that final five. And, you know, that that was that was great. Loved that. Yeah. So, you know, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much nice. for that. Really appreciate it. I felt really odd about the awards, though, in general. This was the, the first time that I've ever been to one. Mm. Um. And I have to say that I, I didn't feel comfortable. I, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as an experience. I enjoyed seeing you. You know, I enjoyed coming and, you know, a little bit about it. I saw, I saw you. I saw other friends. We saw Anna. You know, I saw sat on a lovely table with, you know, with some lovely people. Yeah. It was lovely seeing people, but the awards part of it wasn't enjoyable. No, I have <laughs> to say, you know, sorry, net awards. Um, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy myself. Um, and I didn't feel, I'll talk about this in a minute, but I didn't feel that I really was able to join in with it in general. For example, right, I didn't mm. know almost any of the people or any of the technologies or the tools that were nominated, shortlisted. No, I didn't know a lot of them. I think actually as well, uh, the room didn't either because there are a lot of, when someone knew one of the nominees, when the name was talked about, they would clap or cheer or something. And when they didn't, there would be silence and there was a lot of silence. Now, these weren't the Net Web Design Awards, okay? Let's just get that clear. I understand that. Yeah, they were the Net Awards, yeah. and it wasn't about what my narrow definition of web design is about. It weren't awards about that. Mm. Um, but 
it felt particularly the first part of the of the the session felt very very developer heavy um and i don't have any affinity for that at all you know it's 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 not what i know about um and it, and and that felt quite alienating mm. um and i think actually I don't want to criticize the awards themselves because, you know, I'm certainly not criticizing anybody that won, by the way, because, you know, I would have loved to have stood up there, you know, <laughs> would have been, would have yeah, been, would have been a lovely way to win the winners. week. So it's not sour grapes. I, I just felt um, uncomfortable and I think that it, I'm glad that I felt uncomfortable and I'm glad that I didn't have a good time. Because it's finally, finally helped me to clarify how I think I've been feeling about the web design recently, web design industry recently. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't whether you picked up on it and some of the things that I've been saying or on other shows or, you know, some of the stuff that I was writing about. But to me, anyway, from my perspective, what we make for the web has changed so much in, you know, in the 10 years since I've had my blog. Um, you know, when I started, we were making websites and, you know, not yeah. very good ones most of the time, but we were, that's what we made. We were making websites. And I came from a background where the web was another medium to communicate. Sure. You know, people say the web isn't print, but to me, the web was, another way to channel creative ideas in the same way that magazines were in the same way that posters are the same way that graphic design can be used. Yeah. More of a communication device than I'd say it's becoming more of an interactive. I device think so now. in terms of tools anyway. And yeah. I've really noticed that the, the difference between designing to communicate, as you say, as, as I do, mm -hmm. and designing digital products, which I know that a lot of other people do. Yeah. That's, that's different. And that's not where I came from. Yes. Um, the other thing is this sort of emphasis, shift in emphasis anyway, I, I feel, be, towards technical tools and processes and away from discussions that focus on what I think of as creativity. Yes. I, I, this is something that's actually bothered me at conferences quite a lot. And it's why I, tr I tend to do design talks when I speak at conferences as well, because I want to see more design talks and I want to talk to other people about creativity and, um, about the contexts of what we do. Um, because I'm, I, I've seen lots of really great talks on development, but I am actually really bored of talks about code and talks about tools. And I'm bored of reading about it on the web as well. You know, I love Brad Frost. He doesn't listen to the show unless he's on it, I don't think. But, you know, I love Brad Frost. He's one of my favorite people. Um, and he wrote a post recently. I'll try and dig up, um, try and dig up the link for the show notes about why we should stop calling ourselves creatives and talking about creative mm. work. Um, and that, you know, that rankles with me because the reason 
the reason why I got into design and the reason why I felt that the web was another exciting medium, you know, more interactive medium uh, to work in still involves a huge amount of creativity to me. You know, the way that this microphone that I'm talking to, talking into now, the way that that mm. works is obviously it's well designed. I can, I can reach uh, and find the knob to turn the volume for the headphones. Um, and it's a beautifully designed product. I would expect that the website that intends to sell this microphone should also be designed in such a way that it facilitates me buying this microphone as easily as possible. And it should answer yeah. all of the questions as a potential buyer I have about the microphone. How big is it? How heavy of it? How portable is it? What does it look like when it's sat on my desk and, you know, stuck on a boom arm 24 hours a day? All of that stuff that we now call user experience. Mm -hmm. But what's missing from the conversations is that Don Draperness, right? It's that why? Why do I lust after this thing? What makes me want to buy this microphone more than the snowball that I used to have, that I still have somewhere that I might have given it to Alex? What is it that I'm trying to communicate, that I'm trying to sell to people? That What is the story behind the brand? What What is it that's getting me excited about this? Why, why would I buy B&W uh, headphones as opposed to Beats headphones? It's, it's not just yeah. about how they work or how they sound. It's about the story that I tell myself about the brand. That's yeah. what gets me excited about design. And that's not what we hear about at these things. And, you know, at the Net Awards, whether it's any of the categories, but we'll talk about agency because that's the one that I'm qualified to talk about. Well, best for what in particular? And mm -hmm. I looked around actually today thinking about, well, are there other awards that focus more um, deeply on particular categories? So, for example, in Mad Men, and I've never subscribed to this, but in Mad Men, uh, they're always, in the 60s anyway, they're always talking about winning Clio Awards for advertising. Yeah. And I thought, do they still exist? I had no idea. So, yeah, actually, they do exist. And you can sign up and you can see all of their past winners since 1960. And they have a digital, um, digital and mobile category. And it's quite interesting to see the types of um, websites and brands and products that they award, you know, Ikea yeah. and Ben and Jerry's and other stuff like that, you know, and other awards, the Webbies, for example, who I had completely forgotten about until I started Googling today. Cause it <laughs> yeah. kind of isn't in our area, is it? But you know, no, and there's a lot of them and as well. There is a lot of them, but you have categories there for, you know, best social project, best, you know, non-profit, best sports, best this. And again, it's very different to the kind of thing that, you know, maybe we were seeing yesterday. Um, and it feels, it feels closer to where I am for some reason. And, and I mm. think that, I think that honestly, and this, this is hard to say, but web design has changed so much 
and it's diversified so greatly even in the last few years that I don't feel like I belong here anymore. And you know, I wonder whether other people feel the same way, you know, whether other kind of more traditional designers or people that have been around for a bit longer, maybe, you know, maybe feel the same way. Um, yeah, I, I think because I came from a similar area to you. So when I started out, I mean, since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a graphic designer and I, I did the traditional route. And while I did end up in interaction design when I was studying, I'd very much come from the graphic background. And so I feel like I'm kind of stuck halfway between what we were seeing yesterday and where you are and more towards the advertising things because I feel very much how these things could work together a lot better and how people could take a lot more lessons from each side as well and but yet treat each side like it's alien to them and I think that I think that what you provide and the, the kinds of the talks that you give and things like that one of the reasons they're so incredibly valuable is that you're coming at it from that different place you're coming at it from the storytelling you're reminding people about the importance of the branding and the strength of the idea and something that excites people rather than it just being an easy user experience something that's actually exciting and engaging. Well, that was part of the reason why I wanted to write that uh, different letter to a junior designer that went out on a list apart, you know, the thing that was in response to, to Kenneth's. Because I feel that the more we focus on technical tools and the more we focus on process and pattern libraries and repeatability and predictability and all of these things that what we end up with is soulless and doesn't yeah. have that spark of an idea and you know sometimes who cares if it doesn't work if it's a brilliant flash of inspiration in a way of you know creative thought that lights up the room um and I suppose these things go in cycles. Um, yeah, I think we become obsessed with different things as time goes on. And uh, particularly as technology is moving so fast, I think it's very easy for us to get caught up in that side of things because there's always some new innovation and things like that. Whereas actually the skills that um, you're talking about, are, I'd say more timeless. They, the... Um, the contexts change all the time, but the core design skills remain the same. It's all about decision making, solving problems, and coming up with creative ideas, uh, solving problems in a creative way. And that will always be the same. It's just that the technology and things change around us. And yeah, so that's why I feel like I. I love doing the creative side of things and that's how a project starts for me. It's about coming up with a, a great idea, a great way to represent something. And then it's about digging into how technology can best be used to support well, that. Yeah, I think so. And, and technolo technology and also a process and sometimes a framework for, you know, validating your ideas. I'm not suggesting for a minute that you should just, you know, go crazy. 
Um, no, and you don't need to go blind into everything too. You and I know that some, I know some idea. companies are held up as examples of this, you know, in inverted commas, scare quotes, kind of data driven design methodology, you know, booking.com, for example, or MailChimp, who won award deservedly, but I don't work for them. I don't work for those kind of clients. And that's very much, and it's, it's when they have an established uh, product, it's how they evolve things with that product. They're not coming up with anything new necessarily. And when they are, then that's when they need that spark, that um, idea and inspiration for how to change it, how to make it different. But when you're maintaining something, of course it's going to be research and data-driven and focusing on what your customers already use and like and how to make it better. And that makes sense. But that's not my job. But it is, it's, and no, and that's why I think that we're in client service is incredibly different and not comparable. There's not one that's good and one that's bad. They're both great for different reasons. I, and I went to, I've been at conferences for years. You know, I've been speaking at conferences for years and often, particularly when the same group of people, an event apart is, is what I'm talking about. When a group of people speak, regularly together these kind of dialogues between conf- between talks the little hooks that join things together mm. the little narratives those those things appear and a few years ago it was very much about storytelling and although i was talking for example about uh comic book layouts and how that that might that might help pace a user's or a person's I hate the term user a person's trip through a website yeah Jason Santa Maria was talking about typography, but the two things were connected. And uh, I think it was Christina Halverson was talking about content, and somehow that was connected. Um, or Whitney Hess, one of one of the two, talking about content anyway. And it was th- this lovely kind of um, coming together of ideas. And I felt really happy at that point that we were talking about what I thought of as design. But when I've been to conferences recently and, you know, an event apart included, I haven't, I felt very on the outside, very, very on the outside, almost to the point of being uncomfortable. Um, and yesterday made me incredibly uncomfortable because I didn't feel like it was my place anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got to be honest, I'm just, I'm not interested in what a lot of people talk about anymore. Just not interested. No, I, I really think that a lot of it is client services versus in-house products, because that's why, why I feel like an outsider a lot of the time is that I feel like I'm not a cool kid anymore because I, I do work for clients and I don't have my product, pet product or side project or something like that. I'm not cool enough. And I actually, a lot of people are giving up client services to have their own product and things like that. And I think that's great. And if they found something that they really care about, that's fantastic. But actually, I really love working with clients. I really love helping those people that can't necessarily help themselves. And I think it's a fantastic job and it's so worthwhile. And it's really frustrating that it's not cool anymore. It's not the the done thing. The done thing is products. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I you know I 
I I wish Elliot really well at Dropbox. You know, he's a, he's a good mate, and I think he's going to do a really nice job there, whatever his job actually is. But it's not a job that I want to do. You know, what I want to do if I was to work at Dropbox, um, I mean, I'm too old and crusty for one thing. I want some kind of <laughs> bloke with a beard, bits of fish sticking out of it. But I want to be the person that tells people why they should use Dropbox. I want to be the person which is at the front end telling the story of Dropbox, not working yeah. on the Dropbox, the product. And I, th- and I think that that's, we've, we've got this sort of conflation because it's, it's the web or the net in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the awards. Um, yeah. and you know, my, my, my clients that they don't, well, they don't talk to me about the same stuff that I hear at conferences and they don't talk to me about the same stuff that I hear at awards. They're, they're not asking me for that. And I'm still interested in the stuff that got me interested in design in the first place. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what I want to talk about. So I, I feel, I don't know. I'm, I'm just being miserable, but I just, I feel like, you know, it's 10 years now. The, the blog is 10 years old on Wednesday. And I think a little bit like Doug, it might be time to refocus on where I think I want to be. And I don't mm-hmm. think that what I saw at the Net Awards yesterday is anywhere near where I want to be. I feel quite emotional about that, actually. I think it'll be interesting to see how things change. I mean, I say this is that I'm moving into product stuff part, part time. And I, I mean, I do do a mixture of the two and I, I like the variety. Um, I could never, I, without being a full time member of a team on a product, I feel like I couldn't do it justice. But now I'm moving to work part time on the indie phone stuff. It's going to be interesting to see whether I change it to someone that you don't want to talk to anymore. I don't think so. <laughs> now that's no, that's not going to happen, is I, it? No, I think it will be interesting to see whether it changes my opinion on this. But I've, I find I do find some of the product things very interesting, but a lot of the time it's at a distance. It's a kind of, this is interesting, but it's not something that I feel applies to me. Um. But I, I do still wish there was more about the other as We've well. We've just been working on an analytics, an Android analytics app was one thing we're working on. And I've got four weeks, four more weeks on the contract and I love working with these people and it's a wonderful thing. And we've done something that I'm really proud of and I can't wait actually to get it in the portfolio. It's going to be very different from the stuff you've seen us do. But I enjoyed doing that for the same reasons that I enjoy telling stories. You know, I had to tell myself a story to get into the mind of, of doing the job. We've just yeah. done a, uh, another internal application, actually, for uh, internal application design for big, big, big software company in Germany. And we really enjoyed working on that, too. It's, it's an Android app. But, again, it was about the story, not necessarily the stuff that we were talking about yesterday. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, that's why I still think that the way, that way of approaching things is still very Variety's valuable. Variety's great. I, yeah, but I think that 
I think that that's not useless in terms of the product world. And that's why I feel like I wish people paid more attention to it. And I dare I say, I think that a lot of products would benefit from that kind of care and that kind of interest in engagement rather than it just being vanilla bootstrap-esque something that does something. Mm. I don't know. Perhaps I'm just a grumpy old We'll get some interesting comments. Yeah, please. If you've got things to say, then um, you can. You can follow Laura on Twitter. Yeah, I'm Laura Kalag. Yes, you are. Or you can follow me at Malarkey. To suggest topics or to ask questions, you can message the show on Twitter at UnfinishedBZ or you can email me, he has at unfinished.bz and I'll just forward them to Laura. <laughs> There will be some show notes. I always forget to mention this, actually. Unfinished.bz slash 68 cars. <laughs> Christ on a bike. This is episode 68. Blimey. I know. So thanks to our sponsors this week. They were Gather Content and Hammer for Mac. And as we always say, you can support our show by supporting them. And please let me know what you think. <laughs>